Well, uh, it's great to have you here tonight. Welcome back. My name is James. Uh, One of the number of things that I do here as a member of the ministry team at Christchurch is as the the, uh, director for maturity. Along with Di Lucas, uh, our task is to make sure that we are people who are deep in God's word uh, whenever we meet, uh, on our own, before God, but particularly when we gather. So with that in mind, I'm going to read God's word for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, somewhere on a Saturday morning in Australia, there's always, always boys and girls, bat in hand, ball in motion, playing a basic but true form of cricket. Uh, As someone who's umpired endless games, as I've watched Robbie and Angus through that entire phase of their cricketing careers, I've watched these little ones already starting to imitate their heroes in the way they bowl, in the sort of stance they take, the way they slash at the ball, the way they appeal, and yes, the way they grumble about decisions. It is very rare for any of those kids to go on to play test cricket. Only 463 men have ever put on a baggy green cap and walked onto the SCG. Only 180 women have done the same for Australia. And yet, each of those test players began where everyone else started, in their backyard, on a local oval, slashing at the ball, imitating their heroes. Well, because of COVID, we are gathering in a rather piecemeal fashion tonight. We've got quite a few in the building, but many more at home. It's a little bit like church's backyard cricket. It's a bit all over the place. And yet, It is a true gathering, as much as those little kids playing cricket is a true game of cricket. This gathering, however piecemeal, is a reflection of a much larger, significant meeting. But unlike those cricketers, that larger meeting is not for a select few. It's not for 460 this or 180 that. That larger gathering is for every man or woman child or teen who's ever given their life to Jesus as Lord and claimed him as Saviour. I'm talking about us all stepping onto that heavenly SCG together one day. A great church, a true church, gathers because gathering is a taste of heaven. Gathering is a preparation for the day that Jesus will come to take us home and to be with him forever. To see how that works, we're going to unpack Hebrews 10, 
And we're going to see how sin separates, but God's grace gathers. So first question, how does this gathering, and I'm including not just those in the building, but those who have joined us online either live or later on, how does this gathering point us towards the end? Well, to understand that, we're going to go right back to the beginning. We're told in Genesis 1 that as men and women, we are made in God's image. Now, we know that God is Father, He is Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a three-in-one perfect relationship within Himself. So we who are made in His image, we are made for community. It is basic to your design and mine that we should relate to those around us, not just to God. When sin enters the picture in Genesis 3, we see an immediate rupture, don't we, across all of those relational lines. There's a death in the relationship with God, the intimacy, the trust with God. It's the first fulfilment of the warning he gives in Genesis 2, that they would indeed die if they broke the very commands that he'd lovingly given. But it's not just with God, is it? Adam and Eve immediately hide from each other. They cover up out of fear, even as they hide from God. They start to accuse one another and the serpent, blaming others for their own sin. It's a mess. Those who were designed for intimate fellowship are now isolated because sin separates. It always separates. You can argue that from Genesis 3 onwards, the rest of Scripture, indeed God's actions in history, are largely about his phenomenal grace by which he brings sinners back to himself and heals the rupture between people. So in Genesis 12, when Abraham is called, just one man is called, but what does God do with him and Sarah? Through them he makes a people who carry his name through into Exodus, where under Moses, God saves his people out of slavery. He takes them out into the wilderness, and up there on Mount Sinai, he gives them his law. The Ten Commandments, the first half of the Ten Commandments, it's all about how to relate to a holy God. But have you noticed the second half? It's all how God's people are to relate to each other. They are indivisible. As God draws to himself... He draws others to each other. It all happens at the same time. That is how God's grace works. Even as he gives the design for the tabernacle in the wilderness and ultimately the, the temple in Jerusalem, the place of meeting, he's providing them with a map of relationship. This is the architecture of approach a very concrete way of telling every generation how they come together to a holy God. The problem with that picture, as with all our models, is this place actually hummed with activity and with colour and with light and with sound. Because the key to this place, indeed the key to that relationship with God, was sacrifice. God had taught them in his law that if they brought a creature and that creature died in their place, the punishment was laid on that thing. That blood shed was going to answer for the people's sin so that they could go on forgiven. 
the people could gather in the outer courts, trusting that the priests would behold, were, were doing their work in the inner courts, representing them to God and God to them. And yet within that key building, there was one area that was off limits. There remained a blockage with God, a barrier. Behind that very thick curtain in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. It was the place of God's presence. And only one man once a year got to go into that space. It was the high priest. He would wash himself, dress particularly, and then carry behind the curtain the blood of a bull and a goat, and he would sprinkle it on the atonement cover. One man making atonement for the entire nation. The Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. It was an annual reminder that sin separates, but God's grace gathers. Well, that happened year after year as God's unfolding story of salvation happened until we reached the point that we celebrated at Christmas, the hour that we saw Simeon waiting for last Sunday. That moment when God's salvation arrives in his son, Jesus. Jesus is the glory of Israel. He is the perfect Israelite. This is the one who fulfills all that law given through Moses. Jesus is the one who fleshes out all those prophecies. He is, as we saw in John's gospel, he's the fulfillment of that temple. Jesus is the ultimate meeting place with God And he is our high priest. He is the one who represents us to God, but also God to us. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. All that blood and all those sacrifices over all those centuries were pointing towards one great sacrifice. And that's Jesus on the cross. We've already sung about that tonight. Friends, when Jesus goes to that cross, doesn't that tell us just how wicked sin is? Jesus says the very words that you should say, that I should say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That speaks to the rupture between us and the one who made us. But the fact that God's own people put Jesus there, an innocent, sinless man, speaks to the wickedness of what sin does between us. That human beings would do that to one so unique. And yet, such is God's love for us, for you and for me. Here is his drive to make us right and bring us to himself, but also to heal the rupture between us, the brokenness that lies between me and you. That's his love in action. And it's all revealed in Jesus' death for our forgiveness. And that's what grips the writer to the Hebrews. We've jumped into chapter 10, but if you get a chance, read the first nine chapters. That very love that drives this sacrifice has gripped this writer and he wants his generation and our generation to know this. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, because of Jesus' death on our account, he's calling us now, this hour, in this place, or wherever you might be found, to draw and step into the immediate presence of the holy God who spoke to Abraham, who led Moses, the same God present now. And we do it with confidence. We need have no terror that he's about to strike you down or me. Because we draw near in the full assurance that Jesus' blood has answered for our sin. The cross has done its work. We're to come with sincere hearts in raw, honest truth. Friends, we must know God will not buy any pretense. Truth is the only currency with him. We come as we are. Sincere hearts not weighed down with guilty consciences, but buoyed up by the wonder of God's mercy. What an extraordinary mercy he's given to you and to me. That reference to, to bodies washed is sometimes taken as a reference to baptism, but I don't think that's right. I think it's a very deliberate echo of the high priest's own washing. He had to physically get ready to go into that particular space behind the curtain. And it's a reminder that we come body and soul before the God who knows us, who made you, who gets us inside out. What we're describing here, what's being described, it's not some sort of mystical, abstract thing. We are fleshy creatures. God's presence matters, but so does yours, as does mine. Our God works in time and place. He loves stuff. He makes it. So we come body and soul before him, just as the high priest did back in his day. A key point here is that what was once the preserve of one man, one guy, a high priest, once a year, now because of Jesus is a freedom that we can exercise every day, all the time. A new and living way has been opened up. That's Jesus. We can come to him any time, but there is a peculiar power, isn't there, when we do it together, when we do it as a body, whether it's two or three or two or three hundred or two or three thousand. There is a peculiar power when God's family acts as one. The sin that separates has been counted and overcome with the grace that gathers into God's family, God's we, God's us. The part two. Now we can certainly go to the Lord on these terms on our own. And I hope being the, the beginning of a new year, we're thinking about how we might refresh our devotional life. How are you going to go at sitting, listening to the Lord and speaking back to him this year on your own? Something to think about. But the writer to the Hebrews deliberately addresses this to the gathered brothers and sisters, the family of God. And we should know that the we here, the us, is not a natural gathering. 
Now, as human beings who are sinful and broken, we know the damage that sin does, don't we? And yet, we are inherently social. Even the most in, you know, sort of insular of us, we've got at least some people around us, and some people have got a lot of people around them. We naturally commune with others. It might be people that, from school, it might be our family, uni, work, people who share our love of sport or culture or hobbies. Virtually everyone does it, naturally loving those who love me, relating to our local tribe, our nation, our language group. That's simply being human. Yet as we heard last year in Galatians, when God gets about the business of gathering people to himself and to each other, he simply doesn't gather according to the world's terms, does he? He doesn't just gather Jews, but he goes hunting and finds those from every corner of culture, of language and social status. Here's Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How's that for a portrait of this piecemeal backyard cricket church meeting? This profound oneness in Christ gives us a common standing in Jesus that jumps every cultural, gender, linguistic and economic divide that might be represented here or online. He jumps the lot and makes us family, God's family. The us and the we here in Hebrews 10, it, it really shouldn't exist, but we know that it does, don't we? Because we're experiencing it all the time here at Christchurch. Because God's grace does gather peculiarly. So you might be a visitor uh, online. You might have discovered us tonight. Welcome. You might be brand new in the building, and this is the first time you've heard any of this account, any of this stuff about Jesus. Whenever visitors come, whether it be tonight or sometime in the year, they should at some point stop and go, what, what, what is this? What sort of gathering is this? Why are you guys hanging out with people who speak Mandarin when you clearly do not speak Mandarin? What's with that? Why are you loving and honouring those elderly folk whom you're, you're not related to them? Why? Why are you sacrificing so much time to lead and help and hang out with other people's kids and teenagers on a Friday night? We're going out. Why are you happy to have people in your home, in your life, whom you have so little in common with, apparently nothing in common with? What are you doing here on a beautiful, clear Sunday evening? The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. He is our common ground. He is our unfailing hope. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're asking that question tonight, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. 
Twice in this January series, we're going to open up Romans 12, and we're going to be told that I belong to you, and you belong to me. Because together we belong to a God who's made us family at the cost of his own son's life. So family in Christ on these grounds do not give up meeting together. Part three. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Then as now, the discipline of meeting It needs to be refreshed, but the failure to meet also needs to be rebuked. I say discipline of meeting because gathering as God's people, it it needs to be a decision. The old sinful nature we know does not want to hang out with God or his people. The old sinful nature, which we retain and will until Christ returns, does not want to engage. The truth is, this is not a natural meeting place. It's not a tribal allegiance. It's not an old school tie. This is a gospel community. Our common ground is Jesus and his salvation, first and last. And that needs as much a decision and a discipline to gather as it does to sit down of a morning or an evening, read God's word and respond in prayer. It requires work thought, or in the language of Hebrews 10, consideration, weighty planning of how we can spur others on and be spurred on ourselves. We don't just sort of wander into love, do we? Real love is sacrificial. It costs me, it costs you to love. And the good deeds spoken of here, some of them might be reflex actions and small matters, But in essence, these are good deeds that require planning, time, energy, money. That's worthy of consideration. The fact that you are in the building tonight or you're watching online means that you've actually decided to meet with God and to hang out with his people. Good decision. Keep making that decision. Good decision. It's so heartening that you're here. And yet this verse reminds us that we can fall out of that habit. We can decide otherwise all too easily. Why? In its original context, we're told that the Hebrews suffered immense persecution at different times. Chapter 10 will go on to outline when that happened earlier in this church's life. We know historically that all those first century churches, people lost their lives for Christ their money, their reputation, their work. So for some, they may be drawing back out of fear because the cost of meeting is too high. But the language of habit here suggests something else. It suggests a drifting, a a developing pattern of absence that's got more to do with ill-discipline and distractedness. I think that's why it has a lot to say to us in our age There's no stark threats to us because we're meeting, but we know we live in a world awash with distractions. There are a million other things we could watch or do than be here, aren't there? 
Why can such habits develop? I think it's important to acknowledge, isn't it, COVID has seriously messed with our good habits and patterns of meeting. Not one of us has been unaffected or challenged on this. And there are really good reasons tonight, health reasons, not to be here in the building, to simply engage online. That's got to be said. And praise God that we can do this, that we have the facility to actually broadcast this across the globe, not just here in St Ives. Praise God that we as growth groups have been able to meet on Zoom when otherwise we would have sat in silence on our own in whole periods in the last two years. Praise God that so many households in lockdown just worked hard creatively to create some sense of church, not just for their own household, but often with guests as well. That is so inspiring. We love it. But we need to acknowledge, and not for the first time in the last two years, that COVID has exposed us, hasn't it? It's exposed us at times as not being committed to the communion of the saints, but the convenience of the saints. That was the language we used in the Apostles' Creed series at the end of 2020. COVID has found where we are more interested in comfort than commitment. And there are times when we've withheld one of the greatest gifts, one of the most powerful gifts we could ever give to another, and that is simply our presence when opportunity arises. The truth is, we don't gather at times because church is messy. This is not my natural tribe. And God's word is as sharp and as surgical as it is healing and hopeful. There are days when I'm not in the mood and I peel off and I do the other thing. We might add all sorts of reasons, but I want to just say this in light of our current reliance in, in so many ways on online services. Even the best, truest proclamation of the gospel in word, in prayer, in preaching and song can't ultimately make up for in-person fellowship. Flesh to flesh fellowship. Now, if you've discovered us online and you live locally, I'm really looking forward to meeting you one day. I'm James. Come and grab me. I'd love to meet you. But if you're online only, I can feed you, but it is very hard for you to feed me. You can send an encouraging message, and we trust that you will in the check-in matter, but it's much harder to encourage me in that manner than it would be for those who are in the building here in the flesh. It is largely a one-way process, but we are exploring ways to make it less so, but that is the nature of the medium. The danger we now face is that people will make tuning into services or podcasts their normal approach to church and give up meeting together when it is possible, it is wise, and it is safe to do so. Friends, I listen to plenty of podcasts, a lot of podcasts, but I never mistake those teachers for my ministers. I listen to plenty of podcasts, but none of those teachers know me. None of them can hold me accountable for the way that I live, and I can't hold them accountable either for the way they live. None of them pray for me and my family. 
And none of them are discipling my kids and backing us as parents as those in this church are. Praise God for the internet, for the wealth of material that is out there that we can access at any time, but don't mistake the singular, solo, online experience for that gritty, glorious gift of church. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Decide now that you'll be back in the building, you'll be back in your growth group, as soon as it is wise and safe and possible to do so. Be like my friend Andrew, who a couple of years ago down south, the church down south, got up and said, I decided to be here when I was 16 years old. He said when he was 16, around about year 10, he decided that face-to-face fellowship with the people of God would be a non-negotiable part of his life. (coughs) It would be built into his week and other things had to be built around that. And there he was, 34 years later, living out that decision when he was 16. So here's the challenge. Will you decide tonight to be in church on the first weekend in January in 2056? Will you make that commitment before God to be in church this weekend in 34 years' time? One of the things that might get in the way of that is the Lord's return. So, last part, ready for the day. When I said that this morning, all the oldies were going, I don't think I'll be around in 34 years' time. I suddenly struck them with their mortality, you know, and we had to care for them afterwards. Just be here. Ready for the day. The writer to the Hebrews wants his generation and ours to gather, not just because of what Jesus has done in the past, but what he's about to do. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see this day approaching. Now, it's, this is the day of judgment. This is a very serious note to hit here. The day of stark accounting. When Jesus, having come the first time as saviour, comes the second time as judge. Are we ready for that day? Are we trusting in his sacrifice on our account? Chapter 10 in Hebrews will go on to give some of the starkest warnings in God's word about treating that sacrifice with contempt and failing to persevere in the faith. Very serious words. And then and now... Being a follower of Jesus in a world that does not follow Jesus, it's a stern test, isn't it? A significant, stern trial. And we need each other. Friends, I need you to encourage me, to literally give me courage when I grow fearful and uncertain and vague. I need you beside me giving me courage and you need me. There are few things more dispiriting, discouraging or dangerous than persistent absence. There's a famous old saying and it rings true. It likens Satan to a a, a U-boat or a submarine commander, a predatory figure. The saying is this, Satan hunts for men and women 
who sail without a convoy. Men and women, kids and youths who've drifted out of church, who've faded out of growth group, who've stopped going to youth, can't quite get to Fridays, and have grown isolated, timid, vague in the faith, and prey to lies. Satan hunts for men and women who sail without a convoy. So let me ask you this. Are you heading into 2022 with a convoy? Are you moving with the people of God? Are you deep inside the family that God has created and given to you, even as he's given you his son, Jesus? Do not sail without a convoy. Don't doubt the powerful encouragement of simply being here And if you can't be in the building, the powerful encouragement of checking in, letting us know that you're here. That says, James, keep going. Tim, don't give up. Alex, Joe, keep singing his praises. Do not be discouraged. It's an immensely powerful encouragement to let us know that you're here or to be here when you can. It reminds us of the God who gathers And the other great truth about the day, it's not just a day of judgment. It's a day of in-gathering. When Jesus arrives to take you and me home. So we're meeting tonight, mindful of the moment when we will all step onto the heavenly SCG, the Sydney Cricket Ground, together. We meet today in view of that to step confidently into God's presence now, body and soul, and experience a foretaste of heaven, to spur one another on to the sort of love and good deeds that will just be standard practice. It will be our lives together in heaven. So brothers and sisters in Christ, sin separates, but God's grace gathers. Gathers to himself and to each other. Those two actions are indivisible. He creates an us, a we, a family that is truly unique. It's to be treasured and it's to be experienced firsthand in the building, in the flesh, whenever we have the opportunity. And we do it in light of all that Jesus has done and all that he's about to do. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.